Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are now on scene with the LEO Sideshow, the one and only podcast that opens the discussions about what police do and why they do it. We are bringing a fresh new look on the relationship between the police and the public. Now for the part in our show where we must give you a legal disclaimer. Spoiler alert, people in the United States sue other people for just about anything. So therefore, the topics being discussed in the LEO Sideshow are merely the opinions of the hosts and their guests. These topics and discussions are in no way intended to be legal advice for your specific area or incident. Please consult with your local attorney or your local district attorney's office or your local police department for your specific laws and ordinances in your jurisdiction. And welcome back to the Elio Sideshow. Uh, thank you for joining in with us. Today's topic is going to be, why the hell did Frank call me? No. Because I want to know if you have any ice cream. That's ice cream. Yes. You know, are. I was thinking. That, uh, that's our Achilles heel. I'm, I'm dead serious here. Uh, I was thinking about starting another podcast where we <laughs> get ice cream brought in from all around the United States and eat it and critique it. That would be a fun, a fun podcast, but I don't know if we'd gain too many listeners. Yeah, we would. And I was thinking because it's not law enforcement, we don't have to be also like secretive and everything about it. So we could actually stream it on YouTube and be able to show people the consistent, you know, just everything. Yeah. And then I'd be able to describe how great and how dynamic the flavor of vanilla is. Oh, yes. Yeah, because you're a vanilla <laughs> bean kind of guy. Yep. Yep. It's the best flavor. It's plain and simple is the best. I disagree. Yeah. I want texture. I want nuts and chocolate chips and cookie dough. Yeah. Mocha. I like cookie dough. I like cookies and cream. I like I like vanilla nuts. I'm not I'm just not a huge deep into chocolate guy. Yeah, but see you're speaking from experience too. Yes, I am. I have experience as an ice cream worker. Dipper? D- Scooper? Supervisor. Oh, give me a break! <laughs> what do you have to be? What kind of process is there to become a supervisor? Oh, it's it's joint? it's it's tough, man. It's tough. Was it harder to become a sergeant or harder to become a supervisor at? The... <sighs> okay, see, like you have to think about it. <laughs> Maybe slightly a sergeant, but yeah, okay. Anyway, so uh, today's episode wrote this up. Uh, we're going to be discussing reports of crimes, crimes in progress, and calling 911 okay because that's how the police basically respond to assist you for the most part you know unless we just see it yeah unless we just see it or we're proactively doing something so just like a traffic stop but even that we still have to notify 911 that we're we're dealing with a civilian pulling over a car over but 911 gets calls and it's our job to respond to calls and provide some type of assistance so uh, and this is going to be a two-part episode because we hope to, and we're aiming to have a dispatcher on for the next episode because they're part of our team and to get their perspective because a lot of times we have complaints from them because officers have to don't put themselves in the dispatcher's position and get frustrated because they're maybe not getting the information they want or there's a lack of information or miscommunication. But in reality, they have a tough job because they're the ones that are actually talking to these people and trying to get the information before we even get there. And a lot of times when people are in emotional states or they're just not willing to give this much information, they get frustrated because they're caught in the middle between us asking for more information and the people that are giving it to them. So we hope to get them on. It's a good perspective. Yeah, we we are we are going to get them on, and the uh, the lady that we have uh, ready for this, I think she's gonna she's gonna blow everybody's mind because I think that it's exactly what you said that there is a, a misconception of what actually happens when you call nine one one, 
and, a, and maybe a false expectation of how things are supposed to happen. Because I'll tell you too, that I was in, in a car accident like uh, two months ago and, you know, I'm out there, it was raining. I was on the side of the road. The guy actually tried running away and I had to grab him up. And, uh, in the meantime, you know, the dispatcher is asking me all these questions, which I thought was completely irrelevant at the time, but I know as a cop that they need it. And, uh, so I stayed on the line, got them all the information that they needed while dealing with everything else, which I can understand where some people are just like, get me off the phone, get the police here. Yeah. And we get frustrated because we're like, just ask these questions. I want to answer these questions, but they're, they're getting, they have a protocol they have to go by, by getting certain questions answered. And a lot of it's just for our safety. So that's what, uh, you know, we don't understand. And, you know, unfortunately we should spend, I mean, I personally think it's a requirement that we spend time over at the 911 center just to get gain perspective from what they go through. Um, but yeah, and that kind of ties into the types of calls we're going to go into because individuals don't understand, well, why, why didn't you guys make an arrest on this call? Well, a lot of times, I mean, we, we'll be blunt and just tell you, we take a report just to take a report. And it's more of an insurance claim than anything because this solvability factor is going to be like 0.000001%. But there's a chance. Saying there's a chance. <laughs> what was that? Chris Farley? Remember what? So you're saying there's a chance. Is I want to say it's Dumb and Dumber. Oh. Uh, what's his name? I don't know. We're getting old. Jim Carrey. Oh, what's that? Oh, so you're saying there's a chance. Because she said there's like, you know, like it's like one in a million that they would uh that he she would date him and oh. he's <laughs> instead of him being crushed he turns around and goes so you're saying Man. there's a chance oh yes yes <laughs> samsonite yes. yeah yes yeah. swimmy swami yeah swami. Yeah. yeah gotcha all right so what do you uh, got for us today there pat today's word today's word is abandonment abandonment a b a n d o n m e n t okay it's the noun or fact of abandoning or being abandoned so it's uh, the conjugated form of it but so then we can just go to define abandon and that is a verb for two definitions one is to cease to support or look after to desert or mm. give give up completely a course of action a practice or a way of thinking so you may think okay abandon what does that have to do with police work and i want to talk about that in our uh, case law I got, which is a Georgia case I found called State versus Hill, State v. Hill. Uh, and when I wrote this up, uh, I actually found it pretty interesting. So this is a relatively recent case, okay? Uh, it occurred, uh, well, I guess he, the, the incident occurred on June 1st, 2014. So give you a little background here. This case involves allegations that a James Brandon Hill, State versus Hill, committed misdemeanor theft of services in violation of Georgia Code when he fled without paying a fare owed to a taxicab driver. Okay. The investigating officer, so an officer responds to the complaint uh, where the taxi driver calls in. The officer found a cell phone in the back of the taxicab, and by placing an emergency call from a cell phone, he determined that it belonged to Hill. In a motion to suppress, Hill argued that constituted an illegal search of his phone in violation of the Fourth Amendment, and this the trial court granted Hill's motion, and the state appeals, but because Hill had no reasonable expectation of privacy the information at, at issue, which means it's Hill's own name, date of birth, and phone number, they agreed that there was no search uh, under the Fourth Amendment, and so the uh, Supreme Court, I think it was the Supreme Court of Georgia, reversed the trial court and superior court's decision that there was no search under the fourth amendment. And basically they, in light of the conclusion, they do not address the issue of whether or not Hill abandoned the phone. Okay. So basically what the background to this is Hill doesn't pay for a cap. Okay. So he gets a ride, doesn't pay for a cap, leaves his cell phone in the car. All right. Officer who pretty, pretty sharp goes and takes the phone. And there's a way you can place a 911 call from a phone. Everybody's new, especially we have, we're big Apple guys. So you have iPhones. You can do that from the phone without unlocking the screen. 
Okay, correct, Frank. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sometimes so, I accidentally do it. Yeah, I know. My, my my kid was younger. He used to always play with it. At one point, he actually I think locked me out of my phone for like a certain time frame. You had to like yeah. wait because. <laughs> but uh, yeah. But anyway, so he uses nine one one to call. He, I'm sorry. He uses the phone to make an emergency call to nine one one, and nine one one, if you didn't realize, has a way of tracking like the phone number, what we call a cleared call search. So they have all this data. Every time you call in, it's going to take your name and date of birth and all that. So just the basic information of name, date of birth, and phone number. And using that, they provide nine one one provided him that information, and he identified a suspect. So the uh, the court goes on there to say this. The evidence in the case is not in dispute, and we review the court's application of law to the undisputed facts. A law enforcement officer who is the only one of the only witness at the hearing on Hill's motion to, to suppress testified that on June 1st, 2014, he investigated a taxi cab driver's claim that a man had fled without paying his cab fare. The man who fled had left a cellular phone in the backseat of the cab. The officer turned on the phone, but a passcode prevented him from accessing any data. The officer able, was able to place an emergency call from the phone. And from that call, 911 dispatcher provided him with the number assigned to the phone and with Hill, Hill's name and date of birth. Hill did not challenge the officer's seizure of the phone found in the cab. Okay, so basically there are two main two main issues to this court case. The one is the search of the guy's information, so searching the phone. Okay, did he did the guy conduct a search by trying to access the guy's name, uh, date of birth, and phone number by calling nine one one using nine one one on the phone? Okay, they did not. Uh, go after the fact that so basically Hill and his defense team did not attack the phone as far as the legality of re- retrieving the phone because it was abandoned abandoned okay the guy left the phone there once we determined that it was abandoned okay it guess what all bets are off you know you left your phone there it's ours almost like it's finders keepers you know now there is something Losers called keepers. yeah there's something called forced abandonment which is a little different okay but uh, and that kind of gets into some suppression issues but in this case we're just talking about general abandonment hey this guy the guy was a knucklehead he was probably drunk he got a cab you know we don't know if he's drunk or not but he got a cab and then left his cell phone in the back and didn't pay for the cab fare okay so rightfully the cab the cab driver is calling nine one one saying hey this guy left without paying it's a theft he stole. It's- is there a uh, is there a, a a cool term like dine and dash but for a cab? Uh, we'll have to look that up. Anyway, uh, but yeah. So what you're I'm saying gonna, is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to think of a rhyme here quick. You're saying that uh, you know Hill had no issue with the officer picking up the phone and technically taking it into his custody because he left it in the back seat. What he had a problem with is that he says that they illegally used his phone to determine the phone number. Technically the phone number itself was what they were saying was illegally obtained. Correct. Yeah. So and in other terms, because we talked about this before and showed me the search warrant, in other another like instances, if I were to arrest Patrick on a drug arrest and he had a phone in his pocket, I technically wouldn't have any legal way to get into that phone and to search the phone, whether it be for the phone number, for the data, for the pictures, for the text messages, it didn't matter what I wanted from Patrick's phone. I needed to have a search warrant for that because it was part of his, he, he never abandoned it and he, he had it on, on his person this whole time. So he has a right to privacy in that phone. But what you said, all bets are off privacy he doesn't have a right to privacy anymore because he abandoned his phone in the back of the cabin that's what makes this case so yeah. interesting is that hey you 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 abandon your phone during a, a commission of a crime it's now considered anybody's property Correct. if the cabbie would have taken it it would have been his like again you know again we could get into like yeah, all I did, stuff I did want to mention. So the, the crux of the issue actually becomes so instead Hill and his team argued in his motion to suppress that the officer's act of calling 911 with the phone constituted an illegal search of a cell phone for the purposes of ascertaining Hill's identity. 
In response, the state argued alternatively that the officer's act did not constitute a quote-unquote search within the meaning of the Fourth Amendment and that Hill had abandoned the phone by leaving it in the cab. So, Did the, uh, did the court say that it was not a, uh, uh, an illegal search because all they were looking for was a name and date of birth, which isn't criminal yeah. information so, or be, what were they saying? So the four, they basically said the fourth amendment to the United States constitution provides the right of individuals to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures. They said a fourth amendment search occurs when a government official physically intrudes or trespasses on a person's property. This case does not involve such a physical intrusion or trespass. A Fourth Amendment search also occurs when the government violates a subjective expectation of privacy that society recognizes as reasonable. And they reference one of the cases, Katz versus the United States. Conversely, a Fourth Amendment search does not occur unless the individual manifested a subjective expectation of privacy in the object of the challenge search. And society is willing to recognize that expectation as reasonable. Okay. So they basically determined that the only thing that the officer found was the guy's name, date of birth, and phone number. Okay. Do we have an absolute expectation of privacy into all that information? Yeah, because that, I mean, that's what I think is interesting about it because, you know, we kind of touched on this yeah. the other week when we talked about uh, the during the after action mm-hmm. audit where we talked about how the, uh, we talked about, um, giving a false name during an investigatory detention right. and how the, how SCOTUS, the Supreme court of the United States actually left it up to the States on whether that would be a crime or not. But this is kind of the same thing is do we giving does giving our name, is that incriminating information or is that information that we have a right to privacy of? And what the, what George's court is saying is that it is not, we do not have a Which right to privacy. For I kind name. of understand because I mean, I can go online and basically like go use white pages to find like, you know, if I didn't know Frank and I just found out his name, I could go on white pages for free without anything to do in a Google search and find out where Frank lives and get a relative, relative age and you maybe a phone get number. a decent amount of information. Yeah. Yeah. If so, you want to pay for it, you can probably yeah. get email addresses, phone numbers. I mean, I think it's a pretty pretty sharp move by the officer here i mean i I wouldn't even thought of it now the safest route would have been take the phone and get a search warrant for the phone but he's you know who knows what went through this officer's mind but to just then call 911 from the phone that's pretty sharp i didn't even think about that and and he basically only asked for the minimal information of name date of birth and phone number to identify the suspect do you so. know what gets me though? And this is one what of the is it, what, why. What, what grinds your gears? This, you know, what really grinds my gears? Yes. How? And this is my one problem with one of the problems with the criminal justice system is that this guy commits a crime, and you know, allegedly have, he's innocent until proven guilty. Frank. Yeah, I hear you, Pat. Uh, this guy commits allegedly commits a crime. And we probably have spent thousands and thousands of dollars, maybe even tens of thousands of dollars to determine whether his, uh, his right was violated when we, uh, when the officer used his phone to call 911, you know, and I guess that it goes both ways and that's the way that our criminal justice system is set up. But, uh, I mean, the guy, the guy committed the crime. He's not contesting that he committed the crime. I guarantee, I bet you, if you look further into this case, he probably pled pled out at some point oh yeah it's probably uh, knowing misdemeanor like theft of services it's like a low grade misdemeanor where you probably get like a somewhat small probation and like you pay the fine oh i I guarantee it so i mean this was more of a roll your dice type of uh because he doesn't want the misdemeanor on his record yeah i mean it's but again it just it's you know, I, I guess, I, like I said before, it can go both ways, so it's good and bad. But Wait. this is one of those times where it's like, are you kidding me? The guy's not contesting that he committed yeah. the crime. He's saying that the officer shouldn't yeah. use the phone. So, again, that is Georgia case, State v. Hill. So, it would have been solved, Hill, if you just would have paid your damn cab fee. Yeah, how much are we talking here, anyway? It's probably like a, a unless well, you went, misdemeanor. So unless, you, unless, you, unless you, like, took a cab from, like, Athens, Georgia to Atlanta or something. I don't know. But Who's, Who still uses cabs, anyway? I know we still see them in our jurisdiction, but 
It's Uber, man. Uber. Have you ever used yeah. Lyft? Well, Lyft's not big in our area. Oh, that's right. We're on the East Coast. I think Lyft is bigger in the West Coast. I've seen Lyft around, though. Lyft is around, but yeah. I mean, I think everybody is there, is there, around is there, is Uber. Is there another one? Uh, maybe. No. Probably. Know. Yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, State v. Hill. Okay, so we're going to get into a topic, and we've had this topic on our list to discuss for a while now, is calling 911, what you need to call for, and the solvability of crimes. Okay. So Frank and I both uh, teach or instruct at our local police academy. And this is like part of our topics that we kind of go into. And a lot of it seems straightforward. But when you t- when you deal with the public, they don't understand this for any logical reason, really. They really don't understand right. this. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when you call 911, you are calling 911 basically for, for any what they deem in their mind is a quote unquote emergency. And we can tell you which one's more of an emergency versus the other, but they're calling that one for two reasons, basically a report of a crime or a crime in progress. Okay. And there's two distinct uh, major differences between the two, namely the, the, the solvability factor. Okay. So when we talk about a report of a crime, you know, we're talking, give you an example. Okay. Vandalism. Okay. What we call criminal mischief. I, some, some unknown person spray painted my car. Okay. A theft. Okay. Somebody took a wallet out of my car. Okay. Or a cab. Somebody took a cab and didn't pay their fare. That's a theft. Okay. Crimes that occurred prior to the person calling 911, whoever it is, it could be the victim, could be a witness, could be a property owner. They could be called 911, okay? And just in my opinion, and I think Frank would agree, the solvability decreases exponentially as the time lapse increases, okay? Yeah, and I think it depends on the type of crime, it does. too. But the ones that you just named, the uh, you know the, the vandalism or criminal mischief and some various thefts, absolutely. As time increases, your solvability decreases. Yeah, and in fact, in, in our jurisdiction, there are times when we're so busy that even when you call, you can call our desk line and the desk, uh, compl- what we call the complaint officer, which would be basically an administrative assistant, can basically take the report from you as long as there are no suspects. So you have like a vandalism where, you know, somebody spray painted your house or, you know, damaged your car and you have no idea who did it or you have, have no idea when it occurred. The com- desk officer basically take the report. Right. And, and, uh, and what, and what we wanted to make sure that the public knows is that this doesn't happen in every jurisdiction. This happens in ours because we work in a city and this is a way to decrease the amount of calls that officers need to respond to. Uh, we know that neighboring jurisdictions that, uh, they're going to be going out to those calls and and taking a report, uh, in person, but because their call volume is a little bit lower or much lower than ours. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you're talking, especially with re- report of crimes versus crimes in progress. When you're calling nine one one, and you know they ask you those first couple questions, those first couple questions are there to find out is somebody being you know actively injured or is there an active threat? It, you know, because that is going to change how they dispatch. It's going to change how we respond. Uh, and what Patrick just went over, all those reports of crimes, even even a major crime like a burglary. Hey, I just got home from working night work. It's uh, eight o'clock in the morning. I wasn't home since you know eleven o'clock last night. Uh, somebody burglarized my house. Uh, I already cleared it. Can I have an officer come out and take a report because my TV's missing? That's again, even though it's a major crime, it's a felonious crime. The felonious. Uh, the, the urgency of getting an officer out there is not there compared to you know, an active physical domestic or an active vehicle theft or a robbery in progress, that that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So those, and and a lot of times we'll tell you, we'll go out there and it's more people. I mean, people even realize sometimes people we deal with. Yeah. I'm just reporting this because my insurance company told me to report it. Okay. 
you know, we're going to provide you the same amount of service. You know, if, if there's something, maybe if there's a theft from a vehicle and it looks like maybe there's a good print, you know, a good officer is going to look and see, yeah, maybe that's a good print because theft from a vehicle kind of has a little bit of a, and at least in our state, a little bit of a higher grading than just a regular theft. There's actually a separate charge called theft from a motor vehicle. But, you know, if there's nothing that we're going to be able to do, you know, there's not a whole lot to do unless we got some type of, you know, if there's a like a time frame lapse between when it occurred, if it occurred overnight, you know, maybe we'll check the area for video, see if we can get video. But a lot of times it's us just providing you the service of documenting this incident, making sure, I mean, and part of our job is to make sure that, for the insurance companies, you didn't make this up. You know what I mean? Coincidentally, people file false burglary claims, you know, or false insurance claims. But for the most part, people are just pissed off that something happened to, to their property or their, you know, themselves, or and, and they want to try to get our two cents and per, help us provide service to find out who did it. Unfortunately, those are very low solvability types of crimes, and that's why we call them the report of crimes. So, and the objective of you calling 911 is to have some type of service to provide where we, the police, can assist you. Unfortunately, this does not happen right away, okay? And people don't don't understand this, and they get really mad just from, we've been dealing with this for 11, almost 12 years, and as supervisors, we deal with it, is people get pissed off when, the, when they call 911. And cops don't come out right away. Okay. So why does that happen? All right. Number one, if you didn't know this, we penned calls. We penned. Okay. So there's like we talked about the reports of crimes versus crimes in progress. Guess what? You have a number, limited number of officers on the street and the officers are going to respond to the most important crimes first. Crimes in progress. Okay. Your criminal mischief, your theft, your assault that occurred prior to you calling and the suspects not on scene, guess what? Those can all get pended for an officer to arrive a little later because it happened prior. There's no sort of understanding that the crime's still in progress. And that time lapse for an hour or so, or unfortunately even longer of the pended calls is really not going to necessarily affect from the affect the investigation. So, unfortunately, we have to pen calls, and that's due to, number one, the number of officers on the street that are working, okay, and the number of officers responding to uh, certain calls. And, you know, I know Frank mentioned anyway, like a, a, a burglary. Well, if it's like a burglary in progress or information that somebody are inside a house, guess what? You're going to need more than, like, two officers responding to that call. So that's going to take up, you know, what your your, your roster is. And if there's multiple calls coming in that are high priority, you know, a shooting, you know, homicide investigation, uh, an active assault, an active robbery, domestics, domestics take up a lot of time because you have to have a minimum of two officers for domestics in progress. That's going to take officers off the street. And guess what? Your 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 report of crimes are going to have to wait a little bit. And people got to understand that. Yeah, I uh, I think that. The, the problem with that we have as police officers is that because, you know, you and I have been doing this for 11 years uh, and even for some officers who've only been doing it for two years, this uh, you, you know, if you work in a, in a, in an area where there's a high call volume, you may have done this type of call dozens of times and not that we get complacent, but we get to the point where we get a little numb to the calls. And what we failed to remember is that sometimes the people calling, it might be their first time reaching out to the police. It might be their first time being a victim of a crime or it might not even be the first time. And this is the most important thing that's happening in their life at this moment. And police are not out there right away. And it can be, I'm sure it's frustrating. I'm sure you're thinking why, you know, why am I paying my taxes and waiting 45 minutes for a police officer to respond out to this crime that's happened to me and my family. Uh, And sometimes uh, the citizens and the public call in to us as supervisors and start complaining. And we have to say, look, you know, we only have this many officers working the street. We had 
you know, active physical domestics come in, you know, we're not, we're not going out to noise complaints before your call. We're not doing this or, you know, whatever it is, but a lot of times it's just us explaining, Hey, you know what you can do right into your city council, right into your borough or township council and get more cops on the street. Right. And we'll be able to get out to your area much sooner. And, you know, the jurisdictions are dictated by what the budget is and tax base and all that kind of stuff. So it limits the number of officers, but yeah, Pete and he, Frank, you brought up a good point. We have to remember that sometimes people may only interact with the police once, twice, three times in their entire lives while we're taking that same call a thousand times. So, you know, as officers, we have to be reminded that we provide, you know, a professional level of service on each and every call. And I, I never understood why, you know, uh, officers get pissed off. Oh, they got to go take a criminal mischief report or a theft report. I mean, it's not hard. You go there, you take the information and you just type it up. And it's not like it's that daunting. And But people, certain individuals get frustrated. Yeah. Uh, there, There's a couple of dinosaurs in our department yep. who yep. neither want to no. take a call yeah. or... Uh, do anything proactive yeah. Yeah. and it's like well what are you getting paid for here man? <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then you're on, on the icing on the cake I, there too is that they complain about yeah. everything yeah i had an officer tell me man if you had 24 years on you'd be complaining too and i i responded well i've been here tw- about 12 so you've been complaining for at least 12 years because since i've started <laughs> so i can i think i know who you're talking about yes yeah anyway so you also have to understand as the public listening that certain types of calls require a length of time involved in that call. Okay. A lot of times that's evidence processing, you know, a, God forbid a shooting or a homicide scene. We have, you know, the crime scene, we have evidence people that got to do their stuff. We have officers that have to protect the crime scene, interview witnesses, transport witnesses or victims, you know, fo- maybe follow the victim to the hospital. All this takes up resources and time. Even for like a, a domestic assault where, you know, uh, Frank's at home with me and we're in a lover's quarrel and he pisses me off. And so I punch him in the face. OK, he has a uh, black and blue Ouch, eye. That really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> That's the finger one, right? Who throws a shoe? Oh, who throws a shoe? That's from uh, Austin Powers. Yeah. Who throws a shoe? Anyway, so like for domestic assault at that point, you know, an officer is going to be from the victim. They may have to, what, there might be two officers. One One's going to be taking the suspect into custody, okay, because it's domestic. Then the other officer is going to have to process any evidence in that situation. That'd be getting a written, written statement from the victim. They're going to be taking a picture of the victim's injuries. They might have to transport the victim to the hospital. They may have to transport the victim to go get to what we call a PFA or basically a restraining order. Okay. This takes time. You know, that's two officers, what we call, uh, what we call that out of the, what, out of the rotation, out of the, just out of the pool, out of the pool. So two officers are out of the pool. So they can't get calls right now because they're tied up on this, you know, and for legitimate reasons, it's not like they're screwing around. It just takes time to do this type of stuff. So. Right. And the other thing is, is that you, if we had a, like a, a big emergency, we could pull people from any call. Right. But you really don't want to pull an officer who's in the middle of getting a written statement or processing evidence or, you know, to, to go to another call. So really for all intents and purposes, once that officer starts that call, they're on that call until that they, they complete it. Yeah. Now, noise complaints, you know, people that are en route to a call, you know, we'll pull them. But, uh, but you know, you know what we call, and we're stealing a term from the emergency uh, department at the hospital, or at least a medical term, the, the way that I've always perceived it, is that we triage calls. Yep. Absolutely. I got, I, I remember when I was on day work, I was on a motor vehicle accident. No injuries, no towing. I actually got pulled from that. I was in the middle of getting the people's information, and I got pulled from that to go to an active call. I forget what it was. And I just told the people, hey, hey, I got to go to emergency call. You know, stay right here. I'll be back as soon as I can. And the one party actually left, and they exchanged information, and I talked to the other one. And I took care of it anyway. But, you know, stuff like that happens, unfortunately. And luckily, those people were pretty understanding. And But, you know, we're, we're just trying to get it out there that, hey, guess what? It's not like we're saying that your crime, your your interaction with us is more inferior. It's just we have to triage calls. We have to 
do investigations for certain calls. You know, we have to take take off of time to solve the crime so that we can try to arrest the bad guy. Well, and that's the thing too, is where, um, you know, and we've, we've explained this before, because again, some of our jobs as supervisors is that we're explaining how police work works a lot of the time. And, you know, because some of the citizen complaints that come in, actually, I would say that most of our citizen complaints that come in are basically just a, an unrealistic expectation of what, uh, of what they that what the citizen or the public wanted. So, um, you know, we're just trying to tell them, look, we, you know, we have these other calls that we're dealing with and we're trying to handle them the same way that we would handle that call for you. And, you know, you wouldn't want us to skimp on your call to get to, you know, to another one. So, and, you know, we have officers who, uh, I forget, what, what do they say? They say like, uh, you know, one call at a time or something, but they, yeah. they get a little bit mad with uh dispatch sometimes because dispatch would be like, uh, Hey, I got a call for you. And they're like, I'm already on a call. Chill out dispatch. Yeah. And that's just a little bit of a screw up, which happens. We make mistakes. Um, but if you guys, if you guys want to listen or actually watch it, did you, did you, you watch the Flint town documentary? Did you Frank? I watched like the first episode okay. or two. Come on, Frank. Anyway, uh, if you guys want to watch a good documentary, go Netflix. Flint Town is about the police department in Flint, Michigan. And basically, it's a pretty poor area, a lot of crime. But their police department is like dwindled to like nothing. And in like the first episode, the female officer responds to like a robbery that occurred like a street robbery or something and spoke with the victim at the victim's house like 24 hours later. So the call had been pended for like a day because they had so many calls going on. And there's one scene in which the supervisor, the sergeant's just looking through all the calls and there were like 50 calls pended at one point. And the officers are just going to like from shots fired to shots fired calls because all the other stuff just gets pended because they just can't even get there. They don't have enough officers. They have very little officers on the streets. You know, I think that happens in the major police departments because when I was talking to uh, an officer who left Baltimore city and she said that hey she comes on duty and she basically just looks through all the calls that are pended and picks and chooses like what she thinks was uh, the most important to go to until she got dispatched to something more important but it was nothing unusual to come in with you know 50 to 100 yeah. pended calls at any given time so for those of you that work and live in the metropolitan areas that's what that happens we got a pen calls because we got some serious stuff going on but and and when we refer to serious stuff, you know, we talked about reports of crimes. Well, now we're going to discuss what what we define as crimes in progress. So again, the report of crime and then the crime in progress. Okay, robberies, assaults with a suspect still on scene, possibly disorderly subjects. You know, we're talking fights, stuff like that. Uh, retail thefts are actually in progress because the suspects either usually still on scene or just in the process of getting away, or or they may actually be in custody by the loss prevention team. Okay. Uh, shootings, obviously homicides, that kind of stuff. Uh, injuries to victim require us to respond right away. It may not just be to investigate because a lot of times, obviously in the shoot, most shootings, the suspect's not there, but we got to go there because the victim needs medical attention. Um, oh, look, Iron Man's here. What's up, Iron Man? No. Any, anyway, uh, so usually those have a higher probability of solving for the most part. That's kind of generalized. And the reason being, and I wrote this down for three reasons. Number one, the suspect may still be on scene. Okay. So that kind of makes it easiest. Hey, you know, assault in progress and somebody is there holding a bat. Well, guess what? <laughs> There's a good chance that it may be the suspect. Okay. Second one, witnesses may still be on scene, okay? And that's very important for our shooting and homicide investigations. And uh, three, evidence may still be there and not tampered with, okay? So for a shooting, we may have, you know, shell casings. We may have video, videos that good evidence, uh, you know, blood. Um, trying to think what else. Clothing, clothing. Yeah, well, you know, I think that with those three things that you mentioned, I think that the fourth could be, and I know people may get angry with this one, 
but and I think it depends on the uh, jurisdiction that you work in and the agency, and it depends on the money and the manpower and all that. But uh, to be completely brutally honest, we triage cases also, and what that means is that we're gonna spend more time and energy. Yep. Uh, working a robbery, homicide, assault, um, compared to a, a, you know, somebody spray painted a wall, you know, or somebody, a group of kids were walking by your garage and, and kicked off your spouting or something like, again, so we kind of, uh, triage the cases. Now, again, everything in police work, uh, is dependent and, and unique. So if these, if kids are going around the, the your whole jurisdiction, knocking off spouting, then it's going to probably get the attention of the chief or the township supervisor or whoever the city council is and and make it a priority but we really do triage some types of calls which i know uh, sounds bad but it's 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 realistic well that, and then, that, go that, that goes to investigations too if we have a shooting where the victim's uncooperative well guess what you know we're not going to spend a whole lot of time working on that case if they're you know, if we don't have any like third party or evidence, independent witnesses and the victims not cooperating, we're going to put that in the, the whole bin of, you know, we're not going to work on this case too hard because guess what? It's not going to go anywhere. Now, when Frank mentions well, why this, wouldn't it? Why it, wouldn't it go anywhere? Because the victim's not cooperating. Victim's not proper, cooperating. So, yeah. yeah, say, I mean, hey, you've seen it in uh, TV shows. The victim gets up onto the, the the witness stand and says, "Do you see the uh, Do you see the perpetrator in the courtroom?" Because the police did the investigation and found out who it was, and he's sitting at the defense table. And the victim looks over and goes, "I don't yeah. know who did it, but that's not him." Yeah, and so, boom, there goes your case. So we're not going to invest time and energy into making a case that's not going to go anywhere. Now, that being said, and, and I don't think Frank touched it. It doesn't mean that we're just going to like close the book on this case okay it'll basically go into a, a bin uh for our data system as like a further investigation or an inactive case it doesn't mean that we can't open it up if new evidence arises or you know which has happened you know especially you know cases of shootings and stuff like or homicides where there just goes cold and then like a year or two or a couple of years later new information comes up you know you can reopen the case and then work on it with that new information or even a, a minor crime where new information arises or somebody admits to something or something like that doesn't mean that we can't open the case. It just goes into the whole bin of we're not basically actively working on it. Well, I think it also, uh, we will also want to investigate so we, that we know who is out there doing the crime. So say if it was a shooting and we can and right now, you know, we have issues with this where, Nobody wants to testify as a, as a, as a victim and, you know, whether you chalk it up to gang stuff or just the street code or whatever, but nobody wants to testify, but we as police still want to know who's out there doing the shooting so that right. we can maybe target them if they're also selling drugs or if they're, uh, they're having domestic issues. Either way, we still want to know what's happening. So even though um, the what the victim may sign off on a case or not want to prosecute, we still as police want to find out who's doing the crime yeah. so that we can... And perhaps the victim's involved in something that would lead us to, you know, we don't want something that's retaliatory as far as going down that road. So we're going to investigate at least a little bit and figure out what's going on. But so anyway, that basically sums up the difference between, you know, crimes and progress reports and crime. And I think it's important to understand why we just don't get there right away. And we, like Frank said, we quote unquote triage calls and that's required. Um, and then we're going to get the dispatcher's perspective. But before we get that, I, I did want to note down. So I was doing some research for this and uh, I found this website. It basically tells, I know the authenticary authenticated website called people.com, but it was uh 911 operators tell all, and I'm just going to read they, basically some of the dumbest calls they've ever received. And uh, I'll just read a couple before we head, get out of here. This was pretty funny. <clears throat> so had a lady trying to call an ambulance because she opened a package from Amazon at home. And she was afraid that her kid was about to have a major allergic reaction from the packing peanuts. The kid was allergic to peanuts. And when her kid mentioned what they were called, she freaked out. I can't believe it. I can. 
Well, okay, I guess I can. Okay, caller. These are remember these are nine one. I'm reading some through yeah. too. Here. Yeah, a deer just swam across the river behind my house. Dispatcher says, "Okay." The caller. Well, I'm worried it might be cold. The dispatcher goes, "Well, there's nothing we can do about a deer being cold. Didn't it run off after swimming in the river?" The caller. Yes. Dispatcher. Well, ma'am, it's a wild animal, and I guess it's going to be fine. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, had a drunk woman call nine one one because she couldn't remember her phone passcode. Jesus. Well, here we go. Here's one that said, uh, this is coming from a 911 operator who said that over the years, she's had someone call 911 to find out how long should they smoke a brisket. (laughs) They have had someone call in to see what the fines for parking tickets were. Let's see. This guy had a bunch right in a row here. Uh, He had someone call in a 911 to wish a Merry Christmas on Christmas morning. Uh, Again, using 911, the emergency line. Yes. To, I mean, we have, sometimes we have people who call in with actual emergencies to our non emergency number and we're like, hey, ma'am, you should have called 911 on this. Like, you know, now yeah. I have to go through the process of, you know, either calling 911 and dispatching an officer. Like, you know, so, but then you have the opposite where people are calling in with nothing. A, a woman called to complain that a McDonald's triple thick milkshake wasn't thick. Oh my God. Wow. A caller dialed 911 at 4 a.m. 4 a.m. on a Saturday morning and asked, where's the best place to get a bacon sandwich right now? I mean, that sounds like somebody's drunk and uh, <laughs> got the munchies or something. Well, you know, it could be legitimate. You know, you gotta get a good breakfast in. Oh, but, here's a good one. A guy called in the 911 saying that the neighbors were barbecuing and the smell was coming in his kitchen window. He did not think that he should have to close his window. <laughs> so anyway, and this goes to show that, you know, when we respond to calls, the majority of them, I don't know if this mentioned, the majority of them are basically assistance calls and reports of crimes and not crimes in progress. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, it's like I posted the other day on Instagram with, uh, what was it, Marshawn Lynch? Yep. And he's like, I came, I did my duty, I talked, now I'm just going to let you guys do your thing because there's nothing else for me to do here. And Beast mode. Case here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think that wraps about up. All right. Well, that sounds good. I mean, I, I thought that was pretty informative. Now, as a, as a summary of all of it, or maybe just so I could just talk a little bit more. Uh, but as far as the public, I want you to know that that from the time that you dial nine one one, I want you to know right now. I want you what song to is that? Isn't that like an old song? Come on, man, get into your old. I, I want the public to know that from the time that you dial nine one one to the time that an officer shows up at your door, a lot of things has happened from the from the dispatcher, which we'll learn about more on the next episode. From the dispatcher and everything that happens at dispatch, from the time that it gets to the officers and the officers respond out to your call. And even if everything is immediate, as soon as you call in, they dispatch an officer and they get out there, you're still talking possibly uh, a a couple minutes. So, uh, And then for the officers out there, uh, coming from a guy who has responded to many calls over his career, I understand that we can get numb to the to the everyday call, but I'm just asking that you LEOs out there doing the job still respond to these calls. Yeah, and don't get disgruntled like that guy who complains about everything. <laughs> still respond to the call knowing that this might be the person's first interaction with police. And uh, and you know, you might be working the night moon. We're and, the night uh, moon. You get this you get this call at five thirty in the morning and you're just like, What? Why? Why are people still awake at 5.30 in the morning? Because I asked that myself, too. Like, oh, they're having a domestic. And I'm thinking, it's 5.30 in the morning. What could you be arguing about at 5.30 in the morning? Why am I getting this call? I could be arguing about maybe they want to listen to the LEO sideshow first because it dropped. Oh, yeah. It's dropped at 3 a.m. and they're waiting for it. Yep. You know, uh, yeah, that could be it. (laughs) 
<laughs> but like he said, you know, don't don't be disgruntled. We we all have those people at our at our departments that just complain about everything. It's like, oh my god, I got I had to go to like one two calls today. It's like, dude, that's what you get paid for, man. It's kind of your job. You know, that's yeah, that's 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 what I mean. Some some officers legitimately go out, regurgitate back at the police station what the victim told them, and then never see it again. Yep, because they don't want to do any investigations, and they're tired of. I don't know. I hope I never become that way. You won't. I'll make sure you won't. Because if you do, I'll punch you in the face and get arrested for a crime in progress. Eh, I don't want to be a victim. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, be, well, look for a bolo on our next episode. Right, Frank? Yeah. We'll bolo it on IG and Twitter. Yeah. Remember, check us out on Instagram, Twitter. Email us at the LEO Sideshow at gmail.com. Give us that five-star review. We hope you're enjoying join it. We're actually getting some pretty good feedback from people we work with and are around. They like it. They like they like the team of Frank and I. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much they like the team when we're working and we're like, hey, come in here and fix this report. <laughs> yep. But I think they like the sideshow. Shout out to 1019s out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, see you next week. Make sure you tune in. Uh, I'm already super excited. We didn't even record the episode yet with the dispatcher, but I think it's going to be awesome. And uh, I'm in the process of getting some other people on the show too. So, uh, Bolo, be on the lookout. For Big some things. Exciting Big new things. Yep. All right. See you, folks. <laughs> <laughs>